Today's episode is episode 225 and today's episode is called Think Different. So today I'm going to talk about thinking differently. I'm going to talk around it really from what I was looking at, kind of what I was looking at over the last few months anyway. There's two broad terms here that I want to mention. There's neurotypical. Uh, These are people who have more typical thought patterns typical behaviors and then there's neurodivergent which is more atypical thought patterns potentially behaviors as well so i just want to talk about this today and i want to tie it more to thinking differently in general and how the environment has changed over the last few decades that might facilitate people to think differently to be on some sort of spectrum where they're neurodivergent when i Look at my own life as an example of what I want to talk about here. So I want to start off here with Grimes. I think I mentioned her on a different podcast episode with a different quote. But she got me thinking there recently on the Lex Friedman podcast when she's talked about homo techno. So she was saying that she didn't think we were homo sapiens anymore, that we've evolved into a different species because of technology or or psychology. And our brains have changed fundamentally, and she referred to us more as humo, homo techno. Like Friedman was saying, she was the first of her kind. But she thinks that we are homo techno today. And that got me thinking about how how has technology actually altered our brain and altered our capacity to think. Before I get into that, I want to also mention a Steve Jobs video I'll put a link in the show notes. He was basically talking about the computer being, his belief that the computer was like a bicycle of the mind. And this was, he talked about this because he could remember reading an article when he was 12 years old in Scientific America, I think he was saying. And he was saying that they measured the efficiency of locomotion for all species on planet Earth. So how many kilocalories do they expend to get from point A to point B? And the condor won, and humans came about a third of the way down the list. And he's just saying that that was quite embarrassing for the species that is at the top of the food chain. But then he was saying somebody had the imagination to test the efficiency of a human riding a bike, and that blew all the other animals out of off the list. The human riding the bike beat all the competition by a mile. And that got Jobs to think that it's our capacity to be tool builders, to create tools. That's the superpower of the human race. And so that's what he was talking about with the bicycle being the the computer being the bicycle of the mind. And that's what I wanted to connect to here. But look at it in terms of our own psychology. How this bicycle amplifies the tool that creates a tool. And this is going to connect here actually to, there was another quote from that same episode with Grimes where she said, I think another human brain is one of the best possible tools you can find. And that stopped me in my tracks because I was never heard somebody express something like that. And I just thought about how true that is. But I also thought that you'd only see that if you're around someone who thinks very differently to you and you see that person as somebody you have conversations with 
or somebody you could potentially collaborate with. I think that's the only way you would see what Grimes expressed there. Because if you saw somebody as a threat, as competition, you wouldn't appreciate, you wouldn't actually, because you wouldn't engage them in conversation too much, uh, where you're trying to, just for the sake of it, just to see somebody, just to actually see somebody with a different point of view in the world. If you saw them as competition, you wouldn't see that. If you felt threatened by them, you wouldn't see that. And I think that the human brain it's only the best possible tool when it thinks differently to you. If you meet another human brain, let's just say it's neurotypical, and it thinks, or at least seems to think, that's what it shows you, thought patterns that you already understand, that you already relate to. There's nothing new here, just a rehashing of everything you say, or very similar things that you say. There's no value in that. So you're not going to see a human brain as like one of the best possible tools. You won't even see it as a tool because it just seems like a replication of you. Not valuable. So there were, that's where I wanted to start off here with the thinking, thinking differently. Because there's two parts, two overarching parts of my life. I would consider growing up up until about the age of 21, 22, when I discovered language hacking for the first time. I would have said I was very neurotypical. I taught in a very similar manner to the people around me. I did my best to fit in. And I would think that most people looking at me would have said I was fairly neurotypical, standard, wasn't much different from anybody else. But I would say in the second half of my life, from the 22 onwards, that I started to become more neurotypical to the extent that today I found myself taking tests online to do with personality types, to do with being somewhere on the spectrum, just to kind of figure myself out more. So I would have started off very neurotypical, but as I've gotten older, I think there's no denying for me today that I'm more neurodivergent than I would be neurotypical. And I want to explore the element that the environment has on this in the form of technology. Because when I was growing up, in my childhood years, right into my teens, right up until I think it was about maybe third year of college when, when I first saw YouTube. I had, would have shared, I would have had a very shared culture experience in the extent that you're, I was very limited in the TV channels I was exposed to, very limited in the, amount, in the forms of media I was exposed to. So, for me to think differently would have been difficult. Not saying that it wasn't in me, but it was made more difficult by the environment. The environment didn't facilitate the possibility to think different because in the mediums that came to me in the form of TV or in the form of even papers and in the form of conversations in the immediate environment, they all reinforced more of a neurotypical standard. So it was very difficult even if I wanted to, very difficult to be neurodivergent at that time. And to reinforce that, well, I think neurodivergency, the terminology, I think it was expanded in the 1990s. But me growing up in Ireland, nobody knew of these words. Nobody I knew would have been speaking of neurodivergency or somebody being neurotypical. Whereas today, I think they are a bit more standard, standardized among people. And probably not among everyone, but there are a certain amount of people who would understand these terms today 
But the technology then of, so when I entered third year YouTube, that's kind of when I started being exposed to YouTube. The technology, the environment shifted to the extent that now it's very rare for someone to have a limited amount of channels and to be watching the same stuff as everybody else. Now it's more standard in Ireland anyway, or in, in the Western world. It's more, it's more common to have a highly individualized and customized experience in the form of watching content on YouTube, watching content on Netflix, Amazon Prime, different mediums of programming. So the programming shifted massively. So that's the way I would think about it too. It's like the TV channels are your programming. They set the norm of how you think, how you see things. And now you have the chance to take that into your own hands and actually customize your own experience. And that is how I feel. The environment today is flipped. So there could be a possibility that neurodivergency in 50 years time is the norm and neurotypicality is rare. Because that's what I just wanted to explore about today. Because it was the environment flip and I suppose it's a combination of the environment changing with technology and myself getting older and becoming more introspective and self-reflective. It was a combination of the two. So it was kind of human changes on one level, technological, environmental changes on another level. But they all led the way towards neurodivergency for me. Which leads to the question, can technology make us more human? So the way I would look at neurodivergency, neurotypicality, I'll talk about it from the level of advantages, disadvantages I've seen. So I guess what I, this is a very loose episode because what we're talking about is a spectrum. Some people who are neurodivergent are possibly on a more extreme end. I feel like I'm somewhere on there. I don't know exactly where. But for me, it's it's not... I, I always seem to have an awareness of kind of like my setting, my environment. I'm not completely... I have a good idea of what's expected. I have a good idea of social norms. It's not like that isn't there. I don't have issues that I can tell around eye contact. The issues I would tend to have more around is kind of small talk if it goes on for too long. Like I can engage in small talk. But in kind of group small talk, I would find challenging. What comes more naturally to me is having more of a one-to-one -one conversation that can go anywhere. Uh, whereas that will be challenging to somebody who's neurotypical. They're not going to feel comfortable in that type of setting if they're already not doing some work in themselves. So this is where the line gets kind of blurred because I think you can start off neurotypical, but if you start doing deeper work in yourself... I can't see how you wouldn't become some way neurodivergent because you'll have a better sense of your own thoughts, your own feelings. And I can't see how that would still map to a neurotypical person who's just talking in a very similar fashion to what's around them. The thing is, I feel like I have the ability to talk in a similar fashion to the people around me. That would even come true in... I've, I've always had like a natural draw to language, to human psychology, human behavior. So 
I can match my environment, but in the long term, I'll have difficulty sustaining that if it isn't, if it doesn't feel authentic to me, I'll have difficulty sustaining that because it will feel like I need to put up a mask the whole time. Whereas today, because of a better sense of who I am, been a bit more conscious about creating my own environment that when I go out into the world, I can kind of, like any neurotypical person, I can I can talk in a way that's that's normal. I don't have that that issue. So what I'm talk this, but that's why I want to talk around this. That there's disadvantages and advantages to neurotypicality from what I saw from my own experience, and from neurodivergence from what I saw. Like the main factor for me was in a sense of individuality. When I felt more neurotypical, I didn't have a very strong sense of self, sense of who I am, a sense of what I'm about. Whereas with uh, me bordering more towards neurodivergency, I have a better sense of who I am, better sense of what I'm about, better sense of my own values. Like there's pros and cons to both then in terms of fitting in. I find with embracing more of the neurodivergency in me, it, so there's a there's a pro and a con to the sacrifice here as well. So the the pro from what I can see is that I actually feel a proper connection then with the people who are actually in my life, who are in my life on a consistent basis, or people I talk to or converse with on a level where I feel open and honest. The sacrifice though is that, especially starting off, you tend to see you don't have that much in common with most people. So you're having to focus more on equality over quantity. The so things with neurotypicality from what I saw, because you kind of just fit in, there's an illusion. Well, this is something I'm trying to work, trying to, I'm not trying to figure out. This is something just kind of trying to be a bit more open-minded too, because I, I used to always refer to this as an illusion that you're fitting in and bonding with people. Possibly, I think there, there is an element of, of real bonding there. But for me personally, there was a sense of I was sacrificing myself to bond. So it wasn't really us seeing each other bonding like that. It was more of a we're both present together, similar interests, similar talking points. We're kind of bonding over that. Oh, you're actually all right. You're kind of speaking my language. It's that type of bonding more so with the bonding, with the true bonding, I would see kind of today it's more that I see this person, they see me, there's a sense of being seen more than bonding over speaking the same language, pretty much. So the this leads to the question, is, is human technology or technologies that make, does it facilitate the possibility to become more human because it's creating this environment where we can connect with people who speak our language or who have a similar mind that we might necessarily find in our immediate environment in the real world. So that, that leads to the question, does it help us become more human? Because if you didn't have technology, you might have to end up just conforming to what you know because you don't know what you don't know. So that's why there's always value to, to books. I suppose that was probably the saving grace when technology wasn't there. You have a book, so you mightn't necessarily meet people who are thinking or talking about things you have on your mind, but you might find it in a book. That's why books are always valuable. Uh, they can speak to you at a level that people in your immediate environment might not be able to speak to you on. They might not be thinking about or contemplating the things you're contemplating or, or value. And another thing to think about is the optimization of the individual and the collective. So the, I suppose, if you've been listening to my podcast, 
I place more emphasis on if you genuinely change the individual in the sense that they have a, a better sense of who they are, then the collective will automatically become more stronger because it will have a ripple effect outwards. That would be my approach. Other people will approach it more from a, a collective approach and more of a sociological approach where you try and change society to change individuals in it. I don't think either path is right or wrong. It's just more of a, what you find yourself gravitating more towards. I find myself naturally gravitating more towards the individual ripple out into collective. But technology facilitates the way for us to optimize the individual. What I think we need to be mindful of, though, is that we balance it out with the human side, self-reflection, introspection, because the problem with I see with technology, the problem, like the possibility, the possibility provides is also the problem. The possibility there is like, there's almost unlimited amount of information out there, people out there that you can connect with. But it's information overload. There's too much. Sometimes there's so much coming at you that you don't even know what your own thoughts are anymore, which is a which magnifies the problem that you would face in your day-to-day life with other people's opinions. So it's, sometimes it can be the possibility that technology presents can also be the problem amplified if you don't also focus on the introspection getting to know yourself, place a value on that. I think that's where the individual can be optimized if you can balance the two. And that can lead to a healthier collective because once you get more of a solid grounding yourself, you'll be more capable of connecting with people of a similar mind who are also looking for somebody similar to you. It's the dialogue, having conversations with people who have shared values. I think it's the values is the main thing because when you even when I'm mentioning their similar mind, you can easily think that that's to do with thinking the same. But when I'm saying similar mind, it's more to do with values. So an example of this is that if you value introspection, talking about things that are beyond the surface level of day-to-day life, and doing that on a regularly consistent basis, then you're going to struggle if you don't have somebody who also values that. But when you meet someone who also values that, that's valuable to you like it doesn't matter that you've different you're both of different interests or talking about different things if you both value depth and moving beyond the surface level of things then that will be a good connection and you'll find yourself more and more over time getting a feel for the right connections for you getting a feel for who's got similar values to you because you'll see it play out in their actions over time like somebody can have quote unquote deep conversation with you. But if their if their actions aren't backing it up, if they're not bringing something to the table themselves that they've been contemplating, you're gonna see that it's not it's kind of smoke and mirrors. It's not there's not a lot of substance to it. But there are the main things I wanted to talk about thinking differently. The question I want to leave you with here, the question I started this podcast with is is the chicken next scenario here? Could we get to a future where neurodivergent is the norm and neuroatypical is rare? That's the thing I wanted to explore here. I think labels, terminology are useful. I use them. They shed light on my experiences that I mightn't have much light on other ways. But there's always, I feel I always need to have an awareness of 
it's hard to evolve if you stay stuck in the past, if you stay stuck in labels. Like when I'm looking at tests to do with personality type, being on the spectrum somewhere, like there's there's elements of it that I can see that are true for me. There's elements in my behavior and my thought process that these kind of tests help me to understand a bit more and accept myself and not see it as something that is inherently wrong with me or need to suppress or that is just unique to me. These types of generalizations can actually help, but it's trying to move through them. I suppose that's, that's like, this is what my podcast and what, whatever books I write, a lot of it connects with identity. And I think the paradox, the great paradox of identity is the, I feel more of my truth is, is it's, it's, the truth of my identity is more connected with something that's fluid than something that's concrete. So I see that play out in the culture today. Like identity is a big question that's being asked today from what I can see on the internet anyway, I guess. And you see it in pronouns, the, the use of pronouns today. And I would be of the belief that the more concrete and definite you make identity, the farther away you get from the truth of your own identity. It's almost like you create an artificial identity that's your avatar that you use day to day that helps you navigate the world. But if you over-identify with an avatar, you lose a sense of your own identity. That's the way I'm kind of exploring it. I'm open to new insights around that. Because I, th I think when you grow up, you're kind of automatically given some sort of identity. It's kind of reinforced by your environment, but it, it's not going to encapsulate your whole identity. It's going to be bits of your identity. That's, I think, was where the fluid thing is. It's like allowing space for you to understand yourself and not necessarily always in words. I feel like that gets you more to the heart of a sense of identity. And the more you try and grasp at that and make it concrete, I think the further away you get from it. So that's why I think identity is one of the main themes of this podcast and anything I do. But I don't necessarily talk about it directly too much. I talk around it because I feel like that's going to get me more to a better understanding of my own personal identity. So that's what I wanted to talk about today, thinking difference being a big one for me, I wanted to talk it more in generality, exploration, more so than medical diagnosis. I'm not a scientist, I'm more, probably more person of the arts and humanities than the sciences, even though I try and combine the two a bit. But ultimately, like for me, the individual is like self-expression, express what's on your mind, what you're navigating. That's the point of this episode. Hopefully this might be of use to you. What I always pay attention to is like the body and mind. My goal is to feel as free as possible in my body and mind. And that's kind of how, so that's reflected in how I navigate things. I try not to jump to a concrete conclusion and just kind of let things unfold over time. 
see where it goes. That's kind of part of the philosophy there. But I said anyway, thanks again for listening, and I will speak to you on the next episode.